Life's soundtrack can feel a bit like... But you can still change the station. With Delta Airlines, you can turn your soundtrack into a global chorus. Delta. Keep climbing. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Well, hello, and welcome back to The Deal Board. Today, we've got a great show on books and records. And if you remember, in our fourth and fifth episodes, we talked about the valuation of businesses and recasting and how books and records can affect both the value of your business and the likelihood that it would sell. So we've got some great stories from brokers across the country today about how books and records affected their deals. And Andy, I mean, let's give our listeners some insight to what could happen in a deal if there's poor books and records in a business. Well, poor books and records could just, number one, flat out kill the deal. When a buyer is looking and gets into due diligence, and we make buyers make an offer, and we'll talk about making offers in a future podcast, but making offers, they're contingent upon doing due diligence. And as we talked about due diligence, you know, if they find something wrong in the beginning, then everything goes it comes into question or goes out the window as far as, you know, truth. So as soon as they find that one seed of inconsistency, it can grow into killing the deal. And if it doesn't kill the deal, it's going to at least really make them, it could make them renegotiate the deal. So we've seen that. We've seen the deal be renegotiated. And we've seen all kinds of things that the sellers eventually have to do to perhaps make the deal work for them or at least gain their trust back. Right, right. And that's, you know, that's the case too. Sometimes we even see businesses with no books and records, which is even a bigger hurdle to overcome. It can be overcome, but then there's all kinds of risks for both the buyer and seller moving forward in that deal. Yeah. I mean, so we we urge our sellers, urge our sellers that if they don't have good books and records, they need to do one or two things. They need to immediately go back and hire someone to clean up past books and records. And if that's not possible because they played with inventory or they're playing with sales and they're hiding cash, if they're doing all those things, then they need to then, right then, start keeping good books and records. Because, you know, the process of selling a business could take up to a year. And if they have six months of good books and records, that's better than nothing. I really think there's nothing we can emphasize more than this piece for business owners looking to sell. I mean, keeping clean books and records is the number one key to success in a transaction. So I think if our listeners take nothing else away from the podcast, hopefully there's some lessons learned today about how to run their businesses moving forward in preparation of a sale. Yeah, I think there's you know three ways to keep good books and records. Number one, uh, you should have a computerized system for your business. Uh, it, you know, it's the year 2018, you know, 18. you know, so, <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're into the current century, uh, into 18 years, you should have a computer system, uh, both documenting sales and cost of goods sold and inventory. Number two thing you need to do is you need to have a CPA. 
I mean, really, at this point, everyone should have a good CPA uh, system for keeping good books and records. And, you know, number three, you should just stop hiding cash. I mean, so that's, it's, it, it, it's over. I mean, for the most part, businesses have um, very little cash these days unless they're really driving their customers to give them cash. And that may be an exception in some downtown cities where things are moving very quickly and people are running by and buying things. But uh, these days, everybody should, should have decent books of records. And, you know, I have an article called the top 10 things to increase the value of your business. And three of them are keep better books and records. Right, right. So I think we've got some great stories and some great lessons for the listeners today. So let's jump in. Great. Let's do it. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. So welcome back and very happy to introduce Aaron Bean from our West Palm office. And uh, Aaron is a fantastic agent, very successful here in Florida. And we are continuing to talk about books and records, quality affecting a sale and how it affects a sale. And so welcome, Aaron. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your deal and what happened? Hi there. So um, basically, I had a nail salon for sale last year. I'd been in business for nearly 30 years in a very great location, excellent lease, um, very nice seller. And the only issue we had was her books and records were a little bit um, misconceiving. And basically that she wasn't reporting all of her income, as we all know, happens with nail salons and other types of industries. So uh, what we did is we asked her basically what each one of her stylists or her nail technicians were being paid um, because they were all on commission. They were all on splits. And so she saved all of basically every week they get a um, receipt of their commissions. And she would save that and give it to me in an envelope. And we tabulated what she was paying them and backed into the sales number um, from doing so. And it really helped us to be able to prove to the buyer what they were actually uh, reporting in sales and actually doing in sales. And then further, what we did was the buyer obviously insisted in shifting some of that risk back to the seller in the form of an earnout, um, which we, she was actually okay with over the next year of being able to prove and have faith in those numbers. Wow, that's pretty succinct. And uh, it's a great story about, you know, how books and records affect the deal and kind of some ways you solved it. So uh, very creative and, uh, you know, backing into the numbers and then eventually having an earn out to make the buyer feel good. So great. Well, thanks for that story. You're welcome. Hey, Andy, you know what time I think it is? I think it's time to talk about our deal of the week. Deal of the week. All right. So this week, our deal of the week comes to us from San Diego, and I have Stephen Hansen on our line. Stephen, welcome back to the show, and thanks for joining us. Hi, Jessica. Good speaking with you again. Great. So you've got a got a deal of the week. So tell us, you know, about this business that you sold. Uh, you know, what type of business was it? Give us a little background on it. Yeah, you know, this was really uh, a fun deal to work on. Actually, we had an inventor, a husband and wife team. We had uh, he's a physicist, develops a product. 
He actually creates the space. Uh, there was no product like this. It's an accessory that goes on all types of uh, vehicles that, uh, that are used in law enforcement, emergency medical, transportation, anything that has a lot of accessories on the vehicle. And uh, a unique little product. And uh, he brought it to market. And now it's time for him to retire. And okay, now we have to go find a buyer and sell it. So how did you do that? Where'd the buyer come from? How did you find this person? So it was kind of a fun story. We went through uh, actually a number of interviews with different buyers. And then lo and behold, we finally find that perfect buyer that came out of a similar industry that made a product, but it was used for a different application. But the hyper product was very, very similar. So they, you know, bringing the buyer and the seller together they hit it off big time. They understood what they were talking about. You know, one of like four other people in the world that really understood this technology. And that just made for a great fit. Wow. It's like finding a needle in a haystack there. You know, that's amazing. The seller, his his product was used in vehicles. And the buyer, his product was used in marine products like, you know, boats, things like that. And together, and uh, it was really quite ex- exciting. Great, great transferable experience. So, I mean, like any deal, I'm sure there was challenges to overcome. What kind of challenges did you hit in this one? So, on this one, we had a one uh, big one was that the the couple selling the product, and especially the the uh, inventor, uh, he was in the early stages of Alzheimer's, and he made that very clear to me right from the get go, and spoke with his wife about it, so that uh, I understood his disease and where he may be having some memory problems. That triggered a couple of things with me. And one was, you know, we really wanted to make sure this seller was safeguarded. So we uh, found a really good trusted attorney and brought him in said, okay, uh, Mr. Attorney, you're going to kind of oversee basically everything the seller is doing to make sure that he understands what he's doing and we protect him and he didn't sign something then he regrets later on. That was one thing we wanted to do. Yeah, it was really a good one. And um, and I think that that was uh, really actually instrumental in helping make sure that this happened and that, uh, you know, no one came back later on saying, gee, I didn't understand. Then the other big part of this was we have, so we have an aging uh, uh, inventor. He invented all the products, but there were some new products that came to market and he realized some of the technology was changing. So he engaged a third party to invent his two, his three new products. They all came to market. They've been on the market for a year. I get in working with him. I go, well, show me your uh, technology agreement with this third party. Quiet, no agreement. I said, who owns the technology? So we went through that whole step, found out, guess what? The inventor owned the technology, the third party. So we had to put an agreement together to get this technology back to the selling corporation. And and that took a while to get that done. A lot of negotiation. We buttoned that one up too. So that was one of those ones, the, you know, the seller, he just never crossed his eyes and dotted his T's and thought about having an agreement in place and hadn't uh, hadn't taken care of that part of the business, which we um, stumbled on as, you know, just a little bit before due diligence started. 
Right. Which I mean, happens, you know, and I, I think we've talked in, in past podcasts, or we will definitely talk in future podcasts about legal agreements and making sure if you're selling your business, how important those legal agreements are with your vendors and things like that. Absolutely. And, you know, that you get right into the vendor part of it. And as we get into due diligence, his product was also made by a third party manufacturing contractor, um, which is all good, good and, uh, and, and, can work really well. Uh, here we are in San Diego. And so this particular um, vendor he was using was doing some of the assembly work in Tijuana and some in San Diego. And then as we were going through this deal, all of it ended up being moved out of Tijuana into uh, a San Diego USA made place, uh, which made it really actually easier for the buyer to do the due diligence and all that. But Again, there was no agreement in place between the seller and this third-party contract manufacturer. So it was kind of a mess. There were no procedures in place. How do you really make this product? How do you test the product? And then as we got went through the due diligence period with the buyer, the buyer being also a physicist and electrical engineer said, you know what, I think that they're missing a certain step in the quality assurance part of this. Now, if we look back at the business, we said, you know, there really are very few warranty returns. It is a warranty product, very few returns, very few warranty claims, but the buyer was a little bit hesitant on uh, how to deal with a warranty. So we, we just calculated out what the exposure was, put in a small, basically ended up being a pretty small holdback, uh, uh, as part of the deal for warranty claims. Uh, and that addressed uh, the buyer's apprehension that maybe they had made, you know, missed this step in checking the quality of the product. And uh, the seller bought in, buyer bought in, and uh, the deal, you know, went forward and, uh, and everybody was happy. So we, you know, we overcame the seller's health we overcame a third-party technology agreement. We overcame uh, a manufacturing, contract manufacturing problem. And uh, then we had to get into one final thing. The buyer was from out of state. And the buyer wanted to relocate the business to that new state, up to Washington State. Now, in California, like probably a lot of uh, states, and when you allocate the purchase price of the business, a certain amount is going to go to furniture, fixtures, and equipment, you know, as we call it, FF&E, right? So in California, you pay tax on that. The buyer pays 8% tax on FF&E, and they don't want to pay the tax on the, the those assets that they're going to move out of state. So, you know, with California, like a lot of states, they want to make sure they get every nickel they can on a deal. So we had to work with uh, the attorneys and the escrow company with the state of California to how do we ensure this, the state of California that these assets are being moved out of the state so that the buyer doesn't have to pay tax on? Sounds like a pretty simple thing to do. I, I, didn't, really think, I didn't think that would be too hard, would you? Well, now we're dealing with a big bureaucracy here in Sacramento. And actually that took us about three weeks to uh, get a resolution on, 
on what the state wanted, how they wanted to see a bill of lading, how they wanted it shipped, all these things to prove that the product actually left California and that it wasn't taken possession of here so that they didn't have to pay that tax on those assets. So that was another thing we had to overcome. So last but not least, always the, you know, issues with the state uh, that we run into with every deal. Well, you know, overall, Stephen, it sounds like it was a, you know, a a very challenging deal, but it worked out in the end because you had, you know, the perfect match of a buyer and seller. But let's get into the the stuff that our listeners always want to know. So let's talk about numbers. So, you know, what was the SDE about on this company? What did it end up selling for? Um, And then I know you mentioned a hold back, but how was the deal structured ultimately? Sure. It was an asset purchase. Um, The business was doing uh, a little less than $500,000 a year uh, with uh, with a reasonable uh, SDE. It was about... uh, about 15%. So that wasn't too bad. Um, because of the, of the seller's health, they really weren't doing a lot of the sales activities that they needed to do. So revenues were flat to a little bit declining. So it was, you know, one of those things where sometimes that really shakes a buyer, but this buyer knowing the business, knowing the products could see how he and he was a couple husband and wife team, how they could really turn it around and overcome that part of it. So we ended up with a multiple of about actually about 2.8%, which was, was really quite good plus inventory. And, um, it took us about, yeah, about a couple of months to get the deal finally done. Okay. And was it mostly cash or was there an SBA loan involved? It was all cash. Nice. Great deal. And then for those of you, we, we talked about a holdback and Stephen mentioned a holdback, but basically a holdback, what it is, is it's money left in escrow to resolve any issues that could happen post-closing. So in this case, Stephen, it was for the guarantee of some of that quality uh, assurance items, right? Right. Because all the products that were manufactured in this company come with a warranty. So they want to just, you know, ensure that just in case uh, there was a quality issue or any warranty claims that came in, uh, there would be a hold back there to cover those. And we came up with a little formula. And as time goes on, the hold back shrinks and the buyer, excuse me, the seller gets some of that money back. And I can say uh, so far, uh, all is going well and all parties are happy. Great. Great. Well, it sounds like another good deal for some good people. Stephen, thanks for sharing the story and joining us again on the podcast. Thanks so much and have a wonderful day. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for listing of the week. So this week, our listing of the week is an interesting industry that we've gotten a lot more interesting questions about, especially in the state of Colorado. Um, but it's in the cannabis industry. And I have our broker, Alf Yakovich. Yes, there's a relation. He's my husband uh, from our Denver office. It's going to give us a little overview about this business that's available for sale. Al, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your listing? Hi, this is Alf Yakovich here, Managing Director of the Trans World Office in Denver. We have a great opportunity for a vertically integrated cannabis business, which means there's a grow and a storefront. This firm has been in business since the beginning, great ownership, great tenured employees. There's over 30 employees, so there's a really great management staff in place. The revenue is around $7 million, asking price is 4.9, and the SDE is $2 million. 
So it sounds like a great business and potential for growth, obviously, in a growing industry um, and an industry that's very profitable. But for listeners and buyers that are interested in entering the cannabis industry, what's different about acquiring a business like this? What should they be aware of or what are what are some of the intricacies of this deal that's different than others? Great question. Well, the first is the financing requirements. So there's no bank or institutional financing besides private money that you can do this deal with. So you got to be prepared to have a fair amount of cash. Uh, there's also a fair amount of licensing and residency requirements as well. So it's just good to talk to some of our resources and us and we can run you through that and how all that works. So in looking to acquire a deal in the cannabis industry, probably helpful to have a broker advisor, an attorney as well. Is there anyone else that should be involved in the deal? I would say the the biggest thing is just to have well vetted deals. There's a lot of bad deals out there in this space. So there's some people running around just doing some some things that are a little unethical. So you just want to really, really vet it and then uh, just have really smart counsel that that is or a lawyer that that is involved in in the space and that knows the ways around the marijuana enforcement division is is the regulatory agency here in Colorado and knows those folks over there and and can shoot you straight. Great. So if we have any listeners that are interested in this particular business or want to know more about acquiring a business in the cannabis industry, how can they reach you out or how can they get more information about this particular business? Sure. You can email me, al at tworlddenver.com or give me a shout, 720-357-6853. Great. Thank you so much and look forward to talking to you more about this deal in the future. Okay, so we often talk about how important it is to have good books and records, especially when you're recasting your financials or providing ad backs to increase the seller's discretionary earnings. And today we have with us Ross Hames from our Denver office, who has a great story of how when an owner keeps good books and records with great backup, how it can impact a deal and ultimately get more money for the seller and a better deal done. So Ross, why don't you give us a little introduction about this deal and the seller and how they kept their books and records? Okay, Jessica, this was a business that specialized in repairing pavement in parking lots, uh, private roads, uh, homeowner associations, and so on. And it had grown very quickly, but the owner knew what he was doing to build a business. So he kept good records. And as he went out and acquired trucks and equipment, he spent a lot of money to upgrade them to make them work more efficiently, but he kept all the receipts. So when we did a recast, we added back as one-time expenses the money he spent to upgrade his acquired used equipment to make it good as new. Uh, Then we got working with a potential buyer who came from a financial background, and he questioned every dollar worth of recast. And that was pivotal because we're looking at maybe four times multiple on this deal. So we wanted to get the value up as high as possible. And every dollar we could add to the discretionary income was worth $4 or more in the deal. So it was really a a big leverage on this uh, recast. So Ross, when you added up um, all those additional or one-time expenses that you ended up adding back to the recast, how much, you know, how much financial impact do you think you had to that deal? Was it an extra $400,000 in the owner's pockets or how significant was it? The swing was probably worth about a half a million dollars. So that's nothing to sneeze at. No, it's not. It's not. So let's talk a little bit about what would have happened if the owner didn't keep all those receipts. What do you you think would have happened in that diligence process with the buyer? 
Well, basically, the buyer would have said, you know, I'm not accepting this write-off just because you pulled a number out of the air and said, you know, you spent $150,000 on upgrading your equipment. But my owner had the receipts. He had the track record of what he'd spent so he could support every dollar we put back in as a one-time expense. So then maybe the deal wouldn't have gone through with the buyer. Maybe you would have changed the purchase price. Ultimately, we said it was a half million dollar swing. That's that's not insignificant. Like you said, nothing to sneeze at, right? right? So looking into the future, you've been doing this for a number of years, Ross. What advice would you have to sellers that have significant one-time expenses or significant addbacks in a deal? What advice would you have to them um, in preparing to sell? Well, you absolutely need to keep things keep a record of every dollar you spent, especially those that are unusual, extraordinary one-time expenses, because those are the things that we can legitimately write off and add back to the seller's discretionary earnings. But you, if you don't have support for that, most buyers are going to disregard them and write down the level of discretionary earnings for the deal and therefore the value of your sale. Great. I think that was a great example of keeping good books and records and how it can really increase the value of your company. So thanks for your time, Rosh, and thanks for sharing. Thank you, Jessica. So today we're talking about books and records and how they can affect the purchase price of a business or even the fact of a business is going to sell. And we have Linnea Westlake from our San Diego office today to share a story with us of some challenges related to books and records, but challenges that were ultimately overcome and a deal was able to get done. So Linnea, say hi and tell us a little bit about this business you had listed for sale. Hi, everybody. Um, thanks for having me back again. I, uh, I wanted to share with you a story about a, a really good little business that... Um, that had some challenges with the books and records uh, and it, and it did ultimately impact the sale price a little. Um, so this is a, this was a dog grooming business, long established, profitable, um, very well respected. And, um, you know, it was on the market for mm, two fifty, And uh, it, and that was a fair price given the SDE both uh, for 2016 and 2017. Um, the, the books and records, um, I applaud the seller in that, you know, P&Ls existed, um, but by her own admission, she's a groomer and was hiring, um, you know, part-time help to do the QuickBooks. And uh, ultimately there wasn't, um, a lot of consistency from year to year in terms of the categories. And there were an awful lot of addbacks and there were some duplicate categories. For example, there were three categories of supplies. So from my perspective, one of the, the initial challenges was I really had to get to the bottom of what that all was um, so that I could explain the situation to a buyer. Um, and that was quite a time consuming process, maybe slowed down the sale potentially, but ultimately, she did get a really great buyer, but during the due diligence process, though all of the data was available and the seller was very um, responsive and open, uh, the buyer got confused in terms of you know what was really there. Ultimately, I had to, or I didn't have to, but I I built a performa PNL, um, allowing the buyer to plug in her own numbers related to the different categories 
of income as well as the different categories of both fixed and variable expenses and let her you know, fool around with that um, so that she could get a feel for, even if she didn't understand you know, the adjusted P&Ls that we got from the seller, she could understand how she was going to build her budget and her business going forward. And ultimately that got her over the hump, but it did cost the seller ultimately, you know, about 15% in sell price. Right. And I mean, that's, we talked about this actually in our, our recasting podcast, but how important it is those that consistency year to year is how you're categorizing expenses. And then, you know, not, not to get too crazy or confusing with the ad backs, because I, I think in this situation too, it just causes confusion for the buyer and also puts a little bit of doubt in their minds, right? Exactly. And, and I think that there was a lot of trust on both sides here, but nonetheless, it, you know, it took quite a bit of work on everybody's part to get over the hump and get her comfortable, get the buyer comfortable with, you know, what really was in those numbers. Right. So ultimately the seller took, you said about what, a 15% haircut on the, the sale price, which actually is not too bad, right? Not too bad for messy. The, the, the good news is, is it was legit and the tax returns back, you know, everything backed up correctly. It was that it was just messy and it, and, and it caused some confusion and uh, perhaps a little bit of doubt. I mean, it, it, it gave the buyer some leverage. Do you think if the seller had gone back and done some cleanup on those QuickBooks and did some consistency on the categories of expenses, do you think they could have gotten a higher selling price for this business? I think if we had done that in the very beginning, that they would have gotten closer to the asking price. So there's some money left on the table. Yes, absolutely. It's a good lesson to learn that, you know, clean books and records don't just mean having books and records, but ultimately having consistent books and records that are clear and understandable to a buyer. But, you know, great story again, Linnea, and thank you so much for sharing with the listeners for our podcast this week. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to our show today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review. If you have questions or suggestions for the show, visit us at tworld slash the deal board or email us at the deal board at tworld.com. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.